I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A record number of unaccompanied minors at the southern border of the United States Minors that we were told would not be held in detention facilities anymore, now overflowing those facilities. A crisis, you might call it at the border, but the Biden administration would not call it a crisis. We'll get into what's really going on. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. Welcome back to Verdict with Ted Cruz. I'm Michael Knowles, Senator There is one issue above all that is dominating right now. It happens to have a lot to do with your state. There is no transparency whatsoever on this. Uh, You're having liberal reporters telling people that they they had greater access under Trump, under Obama. Right now they're being shut out. What is going on at the border? Well, it's a crisis, and and it's it's not complicated to call it that. Uh, We are seeing the volume of illegal crossings rising dramatically. Uh, Last month in the month of February, we had over 100,000 illegal immigrants detained. Uh, We are seeing in particular a crisis with children. We're seeing unaccompanied children, the numbers rising and rising and rising. Uh, We're seeing detention facilities that are overcrowded, that are packed, that are at, at, you know, six, seven hundred percent capacity. And it keeps getting worse. And there's several things to understand about it. Number one, why it's happening. This is the direct result of a series of decisions the Biden administration has made. So Joe Biden gets elected, he gets sworn in on January 20th. Within days, 
he announces we're stopping construction of the wall. Yeah. So border wall done. Within days, the Biden administration returns to catch and release. Now, what is catch and release? Catch and release is the policy. It was the policy uh, during the Obama administration where when an illegal immigrant was caught, they'd be given a court date sometime in the future and let go and said, hey, come to court. And lo and behold, a whole bunch of them never show up. This is not complicated to figure out. Uh, One of the most significant things the Trump administration did was end catch and release. But the most important thing that the Biden administration did is they ended the Remain in Mexico policy. Now, what is the Remain in Mexico policy? It, it was one of the biggest foreign policy and immigration victories uh, of the entire Trump administration. And the Trump administration negotiated a deal with the government of Mexico. So the, the vast majority of the immigrants crossing illegally into this country are not Mexicans. Right, right. They're Central Americans now who are crossing through Mexico. So they're illegal immigrants in Mexico crossing Mexico's southern border illegally to get to the United States. But they're, they're largely coming from Guatemala, El Salvador, a couple other countries. Uh, Nicaragua, yeah. and, and, and countries that, that have a lot of violence, that have a lot of criminal activity, that have a lot of poverty. And so they're fleeing that in large numbers. The Remain in Mexico policy was an agreement with Mexico where, where if these folks come and want to apply for asylum in the United States, they stay in Mexico while the case is proceeding. Right. And... What the Biden administration did is it took that really important international agreement and it essentially ripped it up. It said, nope, we don't want them to remain in Mexico. We want them here and we want to let them go. And that consequence, we are seeing massive numbers of illegal immigrants being released into the United States. And in turn, look, if you're sitting at home in Guatemala and you're trying to decide whether to come, when you see people being released, when you see people getting to stay, that's that's when you jump in a caravan and head north. Well, you know, there there was a uh, liberal journalist, Martha Raddatz, on a liberal network, ABC, interviewed an illegal alien. His face was covered because he's obviously committing a crime. And she said, would you have done this under Trump? He said, no way. I'm doing this because Biden said that basically I would not face any consequences. He said, the primary reason I'm fleeing is my country is no good and it's violent and I want to get out of there. But I would never have done this if not for the Biden administration. Well, what we're seeing is really the mirror image of what we saw in late 2016 and early 2017. When Trump was elected, we saw illegal crossings plummet by two-thirds. And and it plummeted by January and February of 2017. And at the time, Trump had just been sworn in. To be yeah. honest, he hadn't done anything You're yet. Right. I mean, I mean right. he literally was just, you know, moving in. Yeah. And it, it is actually an astonishing thing. Think back to the, the presidential debates, the, the race of 2015, 2016. If any Republican had said, if you elect me, the sheer act of electing me will drop illegal yeah. immigration by two-thirds. Right. You'd have been laughed out of the room. Like, like every reporter would have laughed at you. Everyone said that is absurd. So Trump, but January, February 2017, hadn't hired new border patrol agents. He hadn't built a wall. He hadn't done anything. And the numbers plummeted. And the reason they plummeted is that people believe Trump was going to enforce the law. And so if you're making the decision, do I leave my country? Do I pay thousands of dollars to a human trafficker? Do I engage in a life-risking journey only to be apprehended and sent home? No, I think I'll just stay here. Yeah. We're seeing the mirror image of that now. 
right now, people making that same calculation are looking at Joe Biden saying, you know what? If I get there, I get to stay. Yeah. So, Ali Ali Oxen free, let's go. Right. <laughs> right. Because, you know, this is a very basic matter, but when you incentivize certain behavior, you get more of it. When you disincentivize certain behavior, you get. You get less of it. You know, Michael, if you say things like that, you're going to identify yourself as a conservative. <laughs> and and, and, and they're going to require right. you to wear like a patch or something. <laughs> be, be, liberals don't understand incentives. It, it, it's one of the most fundamental divides between left and right it, it is the concept of incentives. So, so let's take kids and, and kids in cages. Remember for four years, we heard the press harping on kids in cages, kids in cages, kids in cages under Trump. Well, the cages were built by Barack Obama. To quote the former president, who built the cages, Joe, right? That this, that a lot of these photos that had gone viral, they were from the Obama During administration. During the Obama administration, yeah. and here's why. So if you go back to um, what, what broke the system was, was DACA, which now the press loves and the Democrats love. It, it was President Obama's illegal executive amnesty. And what had happened there, if you go back and remember, and this feels like a long time ago, this is 2012, but if you remember... Obama had been asked over and over and over again by immigration activists, will you just declare amnesty? Use yeah. an executive order, declare amnesty. And, and Obama said repeatedly, I can't do that. It's against the law. He said, yeah. I'm not a king. I'm not an emperor. That's how Obama put it. I'm not a king. I'm not an emperor. Um, and then one day he woke up and he was an emperor. Right. And right. he issued a lawless order, directed his administration, never mind federal immigration law. We're not going to follow it anymore. If you came to this country as a kid, we're going to grant you amnesty. Now, the year before he did that, there were roughly 6,000 unaccompanied minors came into this country. So 6,000. Significant number. Yeah. The next year, you know how many there were? More, I'm going to guess. 93,000. Wow, I didn't realize it was that high. And it goes back to what you just said, incentives, which is kids and parents realized, okay, the president just announced if you came as a kid, you get to stay. What's going to happen? Well, let's send a whole bunch of kids. Right. And, and actually, the Obama Department of Homeland Security, they, they interviewed a number of these kids. And they asked them, why are you coming? And the kids said, because I get a permiso, which is if I come, I get to stay. Right. Fast forward to today, we're seeing the exact same thing. You're, you're seeing the Obama administration, or rather the Biden administration, right? right? Tomato, tomato. I, no, it's worse. It's tomato versus like massive bright red tomato paste. I, I, like I, <laughs> it, 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 it's all the bad ideas More of Obama on crack. Like, yeah, right, like, right. Because, and they don't understand incentives. Yeah. And or, or perhaps they do understand incentives, but actually they desire this sort of behavior because they think it gives them advantage. You know, it reminds me of years ago, I was reading a newspaper article, and I think it was a city council member in San Francisco who said, I don't understand. We have the most generous homeless benefits in the country, and we keep getting more and more homeless people. It's so strange. I remember <laughs> reading it going, yeah, you're right. You, you don't understand. Right. Like if you pay people to do something, yeah. they'll do it. Right. And, and we're seeing this with, with these kids. But, you know, to, to play devil's advocate a little bit, to give the devils their due in the Biden administration, Jen Psaki said something the other day that I, I was sort of exasperated when she said it because they said, okay, you're 
you said you wouldn't put the kids in cages and you're putting the kids in cages and you're letting some of them go, but you're, you have to separate them because you got to verify that the adults that they're with actually are their relatives. And this, you're, the things you're doing, it's basically just what the Trump administration did, except it, it would seem to be to, to a much greater degree. And she said, well, there just aren't a lot of options. I said, well, where was that kind of understanding when President Trump was doing that? And I guess, though, I, I would want to take her question seriously. What are you going to do when there aren't a lot of options? So, look, there, there are some Democrats, I think there are a lot of Democrats across the country who, who want to genuinely be compassionate. And, and, and I understand that that's the right instinct. I mean, yeah, it's right. not a little kid's fault. Um, and so, you know, Jen Psaki has also said, you know, we're just, we're, we're, we're not going to lock up kids yeah. now. Never mind that they are locking up kids. To a much greater degree, actually. To a massive degree. It, it, it comes down to incentives. Look, during the Obama administration, I remember traveling down to Texas. And a lot of, you know, of our 2,000-mile border that we have with Mexico, 1,200 of those miles are along the border of the state of Texas. Yeah. So we've got more than half the borders in Texas. And... I remember visiting, going to Lackland Air Force Base uh, outside of San Antonio, where they were housing. They had built facilities, uh, built the early cages uh, for kids. This is the Obama administration. I was there visiting, and I remember I was talking to an official from the Health and Human Services Department. And, and mind you, this is the Obama administration, so it's the Obama HHS. And, and this official described to me how the cartels were putting guns to the heads of little kids— and forcing children to cut off the fingers or the ears of other kids. And what would happen is a family in Nicaragua or Honduras or El Salvador would, would give three, four, five thousand dollars to a human trafficker. These human traffickers are not nice people. Yeah. They're not, they don't love children. Yeah. Th they are vicious, horrific criminal cartels. Yeah. And what they would do, once the family had given three, four, five thousand dollars to the cartel, to the trafficker, they would then deliver to the family their child's finger or ear and say, give us another three thousand dollars. And they would extract more money from the parents. And so the Obama HHS official told me that they were getting, number one, kids that were horribly deformed, had fingers cut off or yeah. ears cut off. And they were getting other kids who were psychologically traumatized because they had a gun put to their yeah, forehead. Right. It wasn't even the traffickers that were cutting off the fingers and ears. It was the other kids. And my view, the, the, the Democrats say, we need to grant amnesty. We need to let kids come because we're compassionate. I, I, I'm sorry. If you're creating a system yeah. that is incentivizing tens of thousands or even hundreds of thousands. And the Biden Department of Homeland Security is projecting over 100,000 kids coming in the country unaccompanied, little boys, little girls. If you're putting little boys and little girls in the hands of human traffickers, you're not compassionate, you're not humane, you are a monster. And every one of those kids that is sexually assaulted and, and, and those... I, I remember, you know, I think it was Huff horrific. Huffington Post some years ago with Fusion... Uh, published a survey, uh, I believe the, the number was between 60 and 80% of women and girls who crossed the border illegally were raped or sexually assaulted along the way. It, it, it is, it's staggering. And it's not humane or compassionate. And, and I will say, I get frustrated with Democrats who virtue signal yeah. about how much they love immigrants. 
that they support a policy that involves a bunch of immigrant children being physically and sexually abused. It is grotesque. Yeah. And the real compassionate policy is what we have to had, which is to say we're going to enforce the law. We're not going to do catch and release. And if you come here illegally, we're going to send you home. And the reason that is compassionate is you don't end up with kids being handed over to traffickers. Those numbers dropped dramatically, and we're seeing that. And it seems like Biden and the Democrats don't understand right, cause cause there's and the, effect. There's the question of the, just, the justice in and of itself of saying a people has a right to have its own borders. And, yep. But then there is this secondary effect, which is you're, you're going to see those numbers plummet. You know, I, obviously and, that's and a good 6, argument. And 6,000 to 93,000, we're not talking a yeah. small effect. <laughs> right. I mean, I mean we're, we're talking orders of magnitude. Yeah. And so I'll tell you, on Friday of this week, yeah. um, I'm going down to the border. And, and I'm bringing a number of senators. Right now, the current number is 17 senators are coming down. Uh, so I invited I invited John Cornyn, my, my colleague from Texas. I invited the other Republican senators. We've got a total of 17 senators coming down. We're going to go and tour the facilities where they're detaining the kids. We're going to tour. We're going to meet with the Border Patrol. We're going to meet with the Border Patrol Union. I know those guys very, very well. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go out uh, on a boat with Texas DPS on the Rio Grande. Um, and let me tell you something amazing. The Biden administration has refused to allow any reporters to attend. Which was, this was not true dur- during the Trump administration. Oh, you got all that flack from the press. The press had be- much better access under okay. the Trump administration. Trump administration, the press had access to all these facilities. Obama administration, yeah. the press had access. Look, the Biden administration is already worse than the Obama administration on this front. Yeah. You know the picture of kids in cages that for four years was blamed on Trump? Right. That was actually a picture taken during the Obama administration. It's because they actually, you know, Biden promised to have the most transparent administration ever. We sent a letter, and, and here's the ridiculous justification the Biden administration is doing. They say, well, we'd love to have reporters there, but we can't because of COVID. Oh, so you've got facilities with hundreds of illegal immigrants packed into them at many hundreds of percent greater than their capacity. Right. You've got kids almost stacked upon each other. And their view is there's no risk of COVID there. But one reporter, (laughs) if if you are so ABC News. Right. Wants to embed with us, wants to come. And we invited an ABC News offered to bring a TV camera and be a pool camera. Now, what is a pool camera? Pool camera is what they call a TV camera that will share its footage with all the other networks. Yeah. So they could literally have one reporter and one cameraman. Yeah, yeah. No, that would be and, a risk. And, and there is a risk for COVID. And it's such an obvious lie. Yeah. Um, you know, Alejandro Mayorkas, who's the Secretary of Homeland Security, he went on the Sunday shows this weekend, and he repeated the obvious lie. Well, it's just because of COVID. We intend to do it. And... Look, some of the press is getting agitated. So this week I have been a vigorous defender of the press, which is an odd position for yeah, me to I, be in. This is very strange. I'm biting my tongue on all the great jokes I could make about the press right now because I actually do sort of defend them against the Biden administration. So I actually believe in a free press. I believe in the right. First Amendment. Right, right. And, and, and what the Biden, if Trump had done what the Biden administration had done, the press would be lighting themselves on fire. Yeah, of course. Instead, they're just shilling for and defending the Trump administration. Let me give you the most absurd part about all of this. So they're releasing thousands upon thousands of illegal immigrants into my home state of Texas. They're setting up detention facilities. Downtown Dallas, the convention center, they're detaining illegal immigrants. Midland, Texas, they're detaining illegal immigrants, much against the wishes of the community. Right. 
they're releasing them. Here's an amazing stat in Harlingen, Texas. The illegal immigrants they're releasing are testing positive for COVID-19 at a seven times greater rate than the U.S. population. I, I also did not realize it was that severe. All, all I noticed was that the administration is now admitting that it is releasing people into the United States who have not been, te- illegal aliens who have not been tested for COVID. And you saw the DHS secretary was sort of backed into a corner on this. And he said, well, it is the official policy to test. And I said, right, but are you doing that? Well, we are doing our best, and it's, it's an admission, it's all but an admission, that they are releasing people in the midst of this pandemic where we're right. not allowed to leave our and, homes And in they're releasing cases. them in Texas, my home state. Right. And, and the communities in Texas are not happy about that. And, and it's one of the things that is frustrating about watching the Biden administration is the absolute hypocrisy on COVID. Yeah. So they're perfectly willing to release illegal immigrants who may be criminals. Yeah into Texas, into the United States, even if they may have COVID-19 and not test them. But yet they won't allow a single reporter with a camera to see anything on the border because that reporter might have COVID. And you know what? I'm willing to bet even if that reporter tested negative that day and had been vaccinated, they'd still say, no, it's not, it's not the COVID risk that they're worried about. It is the risk we don't want anyone to see the Biden cages. I, I have to ask you this with regard to being able to go out and do things once we're vaccinated. His Royal Highness, Dr. Anthony Fauci, has come out and, and suggested that, sure, we all get vaccinated. We're still going to have to wear the masks, socially distance, not gather. Maybe we can have a few friends over for the 4th of July. Senator, we're now on day, what, 372 of, of 15 days to slow the spread. When can we return to normal? Come to Texas. You can do it right now. <laughs> look, look, look it, it, it is asinine and insane. Um, so I've been vaccinated. Um, members of Congress were offered the vaccine early in January. Um, I actually didn't take it then. Uh, there were a number of members of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, uh, who got the vaccine early and ostentatiously. Yeah. Um, I didn't. I didn't think it was right. Look, I'm relatively young. I'm healthy. Healthy guy, yeah. I, I didn't want to cut in line. And, and so my view at the time, as I said, we need to wait and let seniors, let frontline workers get the vaccine first. And I don't want to hurry. Um, ultimately, in the last couple of weeks, I went ahead and got the vaccine. It had been, you know, there had been tens of millions of vaccines administered. Many of the seniors, many of the frontline workers had gotten it. And, you know, I mean, I do have my mom is 86. My dad, my dad actually turned 82 today. And so given my parents, I said, and given that I'm out a lot as a senator, I went ahead and got the vaccine. Yeah. Um, in the Senate, I think it's the case that all 100 senators have the vaccine. Now, I think Rand Paul may, may not have gotten it, although Rand had COVID, so, he, so he's got the natural immunity from having had it. CDC's guidance today is that people who are vaccinated can gather in small groups. The most asinine th- thing is senators still gather all wearing masks. And it's just like, okay, wait, this may be the safest place on the planet. Like every person here is all vaccinated, vaccinated, right? But but it's a virtue signal. And you get Democrats that are wearing two masks and and it's coming three, four, five. (laughs) They're just going to walk around with bags on their hands. I mean, and and it is, and I'm not one of the like, there are people who are crazies who say, it's all a hoax. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Do nothing. It's, it's going to give you 5G, which, frankly, I could use the better cell service. If I became a hotspot, that'd be perfectly <laughs> fine. 
This is, look, this is a serious disease. Yep. We've had over half a million Americans killed. We've had over 47,000 Texans killed. I think we need to treat it seriously. But we have. For God's sakes, has there yep. been an infectious disease? Certainly not in our lifetime that we've treated this seriously. And, and it has become this, this irrational zealotry uh, and, and a means of control. i got to say, if you've had the vaccine, the idea that you must wear a mask forever is idiotic. Yeah, the whole point of getting the vaccine is to go back to normal. Well, this and- gets back to incentives. <laughs> if you're if you're going to say, all right, we want you all 300 plus million Americans, you need to all get the vaccine, but also nothing about your life can change once you get the vaccine. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. And, and look, I think a lot of people, there are people on the extremes. There are people that are like, shut down everything and they're terrified to breathe. Yeah. There are people who are like, doesn't matter. Licking doorknobs and things like that, right? Doorknobs are delicious. Yeah. <laughs> um, but most people are somewhere in the middle yeah. of like, take reasonable precautions, but let's not be nuts about it. Um, if you look at how this is, this, this is playing out, those who want government control don't want to let go of it. And, and I think a lot of people recognize there's an irrationality to it. So, for example, restaurants. Yeah. Uh, you know, when Houston opened up, Heidi and I began going out to eat at restaurants. We tried to do it pretty regularly because we want to support the small businesses in our community. And the rules, you're walking along, you got to wear a mask. And, and I guess the, the virus is somehow connected to the tension in your thigh muscles. Be- because under the rules in a restaurant, if you and I stood up, yes, then you're, we'd have to put on a mask. You're dangerous then. But as soon as we sit down, mm-hmm. yep. you can take off the mask. No, it's true. And we can be here for three hours <laughs> sitting right here, and there's no yeah. risk of the virus. It gets absorbed into your hamstring is what happens. I, it, yeah, it's, it and I think it's because your, th- your thighs are no longer tense. Or maybe it's an altitude thing. At three mm-hmm. feet, yeah. the virus can't transmit, but at six feet, it's it can't. Thinner up there, yeah. Like most people realize, come on, this is crap. Of course. I, I, mean, I mean, it, airplanes. So, you know, I flew from Houston to DC today. So, on the airplane, I got to get on the plane. I'm on the plane. I'm wearing my mask. I got to wear my mask. Yeah. I'm sitting next to someone. They're wearing their mask. But there's the, the drink exception. So, I had a you, cup of you got in trouble for the drink exception. Oh, time. my. They went nuts. So, when I drink my coffee now, I hang my mask from my ear, so it's like <laughs> visibly there. But but I want you to think of the logic of this. If I'm sitting there, I've got to get the mask because it's going to kill people. Yeah. But if I have a cup of coffee in my mm-hmm. hand, yeah, the coffee absorbs it. it the it, virus. I, yeah. I think it's it does. and and it works for for a coke. It works for orange mm-hmm. juice, water. It's yeah. liquid. Yes. The virus doesn't like liquid <laughs> or, or food. Yes. Liquid or solid, it only likes. Like at some point, everyone's going. This doesn't make any sense. Oh, it's an obviously arbitrary exercise in power. And it it does actually get to something that I I guess relates, but it it gets to this abuse of power more broadly. But I have to ask you about it. It's from the mailbag. Question from Prudence, who asks, if HR1 passes, so HR1, uh, you've referred to it as the Corrupt Politicians Act. If HR1 passes, is there any legal case to fight back against it? So not not a political case to defeat it before it passes, but let's say, God forbid, it happens. Can you fight it in court? Of course. And and if the Corrupt Politicians Act passes, there will be lots of legal cases challenging it. But I got to say, if it passes, we're going to lose all those cases. <laughs> and, and, don't tell me that. I thought we'd end on a high note. <laughs> don't don't count on the courts to save us. And here's why. Yeah. If the Corrupt Politicians Act passes, it will pass 
because the Democrats have ended the filibuster. The mm. filibuster is the rule that requires 60 votes to pass legislation. If they've ended it and dropped it to 50 votes, that's the only way they'll pass the Corrupt Politicians Act, right. designed to keep Democrats in power for the next 100 years. If that happens, they will then add two, two new states to the union. They'll add the District of Columbia, they'll add Puerto Rico. That's because Democrats believe they will elect four Democratic senators. D.C. clearly will. Puerto Rico might or might not. Republicans, we'd fight for Puerto Rico and try to win. But if Democrats are right that that elects four new Democratic senators, they will then pack the United States Supreme Court. They will add four left-wing judicial activists to the Supreme Court, take it from nine justices to 13. If that happens, the odds are 100.000% that the packed left-wing Supreme Court will uphold the Corrupt Politicians Act because the Democrats will only appoint left-wing activists who will uphold the Corrupt Politicians Act. So the, the key then, now that you've uh, get, taken away that hope that we might be able to fight in court, but I think rightly so, if you, if you have to fight it before it's passed, then that requires keeping the filibuster, and that requires winning over one of the moderate semi-moderate Democrats. So where we stand right now in the Senate, there are 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats, so it's evenly divided. That means that any tie vote, the vice president, Kamala Harris, breaks the tie. Um, of the 50 Democrats, if all of them vote together, they can end the filibuster. They can do what's called the nuclear option. Now, what does that mean? Look, the filibuster is written into the rules of the Senate, um, that it takes 60 votes to go forward. But the way you exercise the nuclear option is the majority leader, Chuck Schumer, moves to proceed to a bill. You have a vote. The vote is 50-50. Vice president votes yes. And the presiding officer rules that 51 votes, not being 60, you can't proceed to it. Yeah. And in the Senate rules, any senator can appeal the ruling of the chair. So what would happen is Chuck Schumer would appeal the ruling of the chair and would say, the chair just ruled that we need 60 votes to proceed to this. I appeal the ruling of the chair. And if all 50 Democrats vote in favor of the appeal, and if the vice president votes in favor of the appeal, that's 51 votes, you can appeal the ruling of the chair with 51 votes. And under the Senate, that becomes a precedent. So it breaks yeah. the rules of the Senate okay. that are written yep. because you have 51 votes to appeal the ruling of the chair. That becomes the new precedent that it no longer takes 60, even though that's what's written in the rules. It takes 51. Of the 50 Democrats, only two have suggested that they wouldn't end the filibuster. The two have suggested are Joe Manchin. He's a Democrat from West Virginia. And Kirsten Sinema, who is a Democrat from Arizona. Right now, both of them are making lots of noise, like we're going to stand up and not end the filibuster. I got to admit, I am very skeptical. Yeah. Uh, let's take Joe Manchin. So Joe is the governor of West Virginia, uh, has been senator. Joe is a very nice, affable, likable guy. He was a college football quarterback. Everybody Just like looked. me and you. Yeah, exactly. College football quarterback. You, yep. you, you know, yeah. we, 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 we were the geeks in the debate club. <laughs> he, he was the star quarterback. Yeah. Exactly the same. Uh -huh. Everybody likes Joe. You, you can't not like Joe. He just has a personality that is easy and affable. 
when I first got elected to the Senate, I remember Jim DeMint told me, he said, Ted, Joe Manchin is like a purple unicorn. He will always, always, always be there for you until you need him. <laughs> I can tell you in nine years in the Senate, I do not know of a single issue of consequence yeah. Yeah. on which Joe Manchin was the deciding vote. So basically what Joe has done is if Republicans are going to win, if we had 51 votes, yeah. he might give you a 52nd. So he might make it bipartisan. Mm -hmm. But he's but not going to be that 51st. He, he has never, on any issue that matters in the nine years I've served with it, I've never seen him willing to stand up to Chuck Schumer. What about cinema? She hadn't been there that long. She's only been there a couple of years. I like her. She's very nice. I haven't seen her stand up to Schumer. Yeah. Now, who knows? She hadn't been there long enough that we don't have as long a track history mm -hmm. with her. But I don't know what Schumer has, the degree to which Democrats are terrified to cross him. And so here's my concern, is that Cinema caves and Manchin finds a cute game to pretend he didn't cave. It seems like he's already setting that up. So he's talking about the talking filibuster. Mm -hmm. Now, the talking filibuster is to say, well... Any senator can speak as long as they want, but at the end of the talking filibuster, we're going to vote. Yeah. And insisting on the talking filibuster is a way to break the filibuster. Right. Um, by the way, if, if they insist on a talking filibuster, I'm going to spend some time talking. <laughs> uh, you, you have a little bit of a track record on this. Um, I, I have, I think, the fourth longest in history, uh, 21 hours. Could we do verdict from the Senate floor? Uh, they won't let us do that, Drats. but... Uh, but uh, you know, last time I, I read Green Eggs and Ham, I will tell you, a, a friend of a very dear friend of mine suggested, said, if the Democrats force, force the talking filibuster, Republicans should stand up and read the Bible from cover to cover. <laughs> I think many on, on the other side of the aisle would go screaming out of the room. I, it, it, it actually is a great way to clear Democrats <laughs> off the floor. But look— We'll see what happens, but insisting on the talking filibuster yeah. is frankly a game to say, I haven't ended the filibuster. Right. But at the end, when eventually you collapse and can talk no longer, then you vote and it's 50 and you pass the Corrupt Politicians Act and you pack the Supreme Court and you do lasting structural damage to the country. You know, it would seem to me, you, you have seen a lot of these things coming and we've talked about it on the show. You can go back and see the tape. And... Uh, a lot of them have really come to pass, and they seem closer to passing right now. We're focused on that crisis on the border. It seems to me there is a crisis just as serious, maybe much more serious, uh, with the Corrupt Politicians Act, with, with other, other legislation they're trying to force through. By the way, Michael, is there a way for people to subscribe or like this show? Oh, the, you're talking about this? Well, uh, speaking of crises that we're facing in, in the private sector here, uh, we're certainly going to be booted off of all the platforms at a certain point. But in the meantime, that's a, actually a wonderful recommendation. You can subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, any and every social platform that will still have us to verdict. We also really appreciate it when you leave a five-star review. Can they give six? You, you can try. It will not be successful, okay, but, but you don't can roll try. Up. Don't turn it into one because you think that's like <laughs> yes, five plus no, one. No, you've got it. I would say just to be safe, <laughs> maybe go with the five. And thank you to everybody who has been uh, listening. And, uh, you know, we're we're going to keep uh, bringing this to you. Uh, even, even I, I hate to admit that I didn't know all of this going in. And by the way, we had a big announcement last show. Oh, are you referring to what happens once they, once they do boot us off of these social platforms? We will be taking verdict on the road. We will be doing... 
a wonderful partnership with the Young America's Foundation now being run by Governor Scott Walker. We will be coming to six campuses around the country, but we have not yet decided which campuses we will be going to. So we are, we already did one event in Miami. That was a ton of fun. We have six live events that are going to be going on over the next year. Please submit either to mailbag at verdictpodcast.com or, you know, just tweet one of us which schools you believe that, that we should go to. We would appreciate that while you subscribe. By the way, some people have written into me. I'm not kidding, Senator. They subscribe, and then for some reason, they're unsubscribed. And they don't keep doing it again. Keep doing it again and again. Screw the big tech overlords and don't (laughs) let them unsubscribe. Absolutely. We will see you next time. I'm Michael Knowles. This is Verdict with Ted Cruz. This episode of Verdict with Ted Cruz is being brought to you by Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC, a political action committee dedicated to supporting conservative causes, organizations, and candidates across the country. In 2022, Jobs, Freedom, and Security PAC plans to donate to conservative candidates running for Congress and help the Republican Party across the nation. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.